You're listening to Creation Talk with your host, Bronte Robertson, and special guest, Dr. Don Batten. One of the common criticisms of young earth creationists is you have no evidence. But actually, Don, you argue that there is a lot of evidence, and you've agreed to share four of those points with us today. Don, you've spoken about this internationally for almost 30 years. I wonder if you could share those four points with us. Yeah, well, this is evidence for the young age of the Earth and the universe. And I actually have an article with 101 evidences on creation.com, but we're only dealing with four today. Number one is the soft tissues and proteins in fossils. Number two is carbon-14, which is a huge problem for the millions of years story. And number three is the amount of sediment formed in the millions of years scenario is not enough to create fossils, nowhere near enough. And the fourth evidence is the lack of stirring up of the sediments. It's called bioturbation, which is the effect of organisms in stirring it up. So they're the four ones we're dealing with today. Okay, well, let's get started. Can you kick us off with soft tissue found in fossils? So the first things found were by Dr. Mary Schweitzer in Montana in the United States in dinosaur bone. And this was world-shattering sort of discovery because no one expected this because of the belief in millions of years. So in 2005, she published about soft tissue in the form of flexible blood vessels. So that was what she published and it caused a rather a stir. So what's the issue with finding things like blood vessels in dinosaur bones? Well, they should have decayed away. They should not be there. So everybody expected these things after the huge period of time that they put on them would have become mineralized. So what happens is with fossils is that minerals percolate through the fossil and they replace all the organic matter. So there's no organic matter left and certainly not flexible blood vessels. So this was a this was a world-shattering sort of claim. Okay, so this was in 2005. It's fairly recent. What's the oldest example that they have found so far? Well, there's things other than dinosaurs, things much supposedly much older than dinosaurs. For example, they found these marine worms with soft tissue in them, supposed to be 551 million years old as a claim. Uh, that's far older than any supposed dinosaur. And, but also there's uh, even porphyrins have been found at 1.1 billion years old. All right. What are porphyrins? <laughs> well, uh, photosynthesis requires chlorophyll, and the core of the chlorophyll molecule, which is quite complex, is called porphyrin. And it's quite a complex organic compound. So it's an organic compound that's used in the photosynthesis process? That's right. So blue-green algae have this in it. Well, all plants have this porphyrin as a core of chlorophyll. Okay, so what is the significance of porphyrins being found in rock that is supposedly that old? Well, they shouldn't be there, basically, because they should have well and truly decayed away and be nothing there. So uh, one of the scientists commenting on this find, uh, Dr. Jochen Brox, and I'll, I'll quote, I was just awestruck that these molecules can survive for such a long time but they should be questioning the time frame because we know they can't last for that period of time. And there are ones that are dated even older, but we can just deal with these. Okay, so we have organic compounds found in dinosaur bones dated to be millions of years old. And then we have porphyrins found in rock dated to be billions of years old. How do we know that those organic compounds, those porphyrins can't actually last that long? 
Well, you can do laboratory studies on various compounds like proteins and different things, such DNA, RNA. You can do uh, laboratory studies where you basically heat the things at various temperatures, so a whole range of temperatures, and then you monitor how quickly they decay or break down. And so you get a mathematical curve, which is well-known and well-established, been known for a long, long time, that chemical reactions speed up with temperature. And so once you get that curve, you can then predict back to normal temperatures like zero or 10 or something like that degrees Celsius in the rocks, you know, assuming some sort of history that uh, they would have been subjected to. And you can calculate then the decay rate at that temperature. And you can also do these studies in the presence of oxygen or absence of oxygen, presence of water, the absence of water, and you can get this relationship between temperature and how long they last. So this is well-established science that these these compounds can't last for millions of years. Okay. So in the lab, we can test and we can get an, almost a formula that we can then we apply. We get a formula, actual formula, yeah. Okay. So we take get a formula that we can apply to real-world situations and work out how long they could last. Yeah. And you're saying they couldn't last millions or billions they of years. They can't. They just can't last millions of years. Okay. How do those who believe that these dinosaur bones and the shale rock are that old explain that? Well, I have rescue devices. And the first rescue device when Dr. Mary Schweitzer published on the flexible blood vessels and the red blood cells was to say that the flexible blood vessels were actually produced by bacteria which had invaded the bones and had produced biofilms. The bacterial biofilms have created this flexible recently, obviously, very recently. Mm. So that was rather convenient that it happened very recently. Dr. Mary Swartz then said, well, I don't, I don't really agree with that. I think it's actual dinosaur material. So she went to the, back to the lab and she found evidence for proteins in the dinosaur bones. And the proteins she found were proteins that are only produced by vertebrates. They're not produced by bacteria. Mm-hmm. So that squashed that one. Okay. Uh, the bacterial biofilms doesn't work. Second rescue device was the idea, and this is Dr. Mary Schweitzer herself suggested this, that the um, hemoglobin from red blood, from blood, acts as some sort of preservative. The heme or the iron from it acts as some sort of preservative. And th- th- she did some... There were no studies done, like I was talking about a while ago, with the elevated temperature to actually work out whether that's feasible or not. But this suggestion was made and people latched onto that. Oh, there we we understand now why the dinosaur, blah, 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 blah. But the blood bank that deals with blood and blood donations would like to know that blood preserves things because it lasts a few weeks under refrigeration. Yeah. (laughs) But also... If this was true, then you'd find evidence of the hemoglobin or the iron, you know, evenly through the fossils. And it's not, of course, because the blood's associated with the blood vessels and things is not, you know, it's not uniformly through fossils. So it doesn't really explain, it can't explain the persistence of these things. And the third rescue device, which is slightly more recent, is what's called toast idea. Okay. Toast, yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> So when you cook your toast for breakfast, the heat actually causes cross-linking between the sugars and things and the starch and so on. That's what causes it to go brown. They suggested that the fossils, this toasting thing could happen, that the sugars and things could cross-link and they could form some sort of protection to make it last longer. Okay. But of course, does toast last millions of years? (laughs) 
No. <laughs> so again, there's been no actual studies with elevated temperatures and so on in a lab to show that this this actually could possibly preserve things. So these are grasping at the straws, really, that this toast thing could do it. And, and you've got things like the racemization of amino acids, for example, which uh, is where the amino acids become both left and right-handed over time. And, and that's something that's well known and has got a temperature relationship and you know how would toasting stop that and et cetera. So it's really grasping at straws and there's such a such a number of these discoveries being made now across the whole spectrum of time that uh, they're really grasping at straws with these sorts of ideas. So basically the scientific evidence is suggesting that it can't be that old. It can't be that old. It has to be young, yeah. So it's consistent with a young Earth. Consistent with a young Earth, yes. Okay. It doesn't prove a young Earth. Nothing proves an old Earth either. Yeah. But it doesn't prove it, but it's consistent with it, yeah. All right. Let's move on to your next point. I think you mentioned carbon-14. Can you talk to me about that? So we probably need to explain what it is for a start. So carbon-14 is the radioactive form of carbon, which because it breaks down or decays in a fairly predictable manner, it's been used for dating of things, particularly things that were once living because plants take up carbon dioxide and some of the carbon dioxide has carbon-14, the radioactive element, instead of the normal carbon-12, which is not radioactive, so it has some of the radioactive element. And so you and I have both got some carbon-14 in us. And while we're eating food, which comes from plants, which are taken in the CO2, so they've got some, some of this in it, the animals that eat the plants, us or if we eat an animal that's eating the plants, we get the carbon-14 in us, so we're slightly radioactive. But when you die, you stop eating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then there's carbon-14 decays, and so you can actually use it to date things. Okay, so it's something that every living thing consumes. But once we stop living, it exits our system, would you say? Yeah, so it then starts to decay. Okay. Well, you're not replacing it, so yeah. it then decays. And you can, based on the amount of carbon-14 present when you look at it, you can estimate when it was living. Okay. And it's useful in archaeology and so on. But the problem is you have to calibrate it some way or other. And once you go past known archaeological dates, it becomes quite iffy, uh, woolly, as to how you calibrate it you know they've got ways that they claim it work but I doubt I, I doubt them okay so how does carbon 14 act as an evidence for a young earth well carbon 14 has a very short half-life compared to most radioactive many radioactive elements it's got a half-life of 5730 years just like, well that sounds like a long time it does compared to the billions of years of some isotopes like uranium and thorium and things like that it's quite short so okay. consequently, Every 5,730 years, half it disappears. And it doesn't take too much mathematics to work out that something which was, say, even 100,000 years old could have no carbon-14 present because it's all decayed away. Because, you know, you you can actually make the point that if the whole Earth were carbon-14 and nothing else, in one million years, there'd be nothing left. So that, wow. that just illustrates how quickly it breaks down. Yep. Now, of course, nothing was ever 100% carbon-14. It's only a tiny percentage. So consequently, the realistic figure is certainly 100,000 years you could have no carbon-14 present. All right. So could you give me a few examples of where we found carbon-14 somewhere that it shouldn't be? 
Well, we can first of all look at some examples of where they've dated, say, the rocks uh, using one dating technique as millions of years old. So this is sort of a firm date in the evolutionary way of thinking where they've also found organic material like wood. And then we said, well, we can date the wood using carbon-14. Do they agree? Or there shouldn't be any carbon-14 there if the, if the other date's correct. So so there's two we can mention. There's many of these, but two of them. One of them is in Crinham Mine in Western Queensland. And the company was had a drill core, which they put down to survey the, the coal for the mine. And they had reported they found in a basalt layer, which is volcanic rock, hot okay. molten rock, inside the basalt they found some wood and the wood had been charred. So, so we thought that'd be interesting to actually get a carbon date in the wood. Now, no evolutionary geologist would even dream of doing that because they'd take, there was nothing there, there's nothing to find. We say, no, we don't believe the age because the basalt's supposed to be, you know, tens of millions of years old. Okay. We don't believe that age. We believe that happened during Noah's flood four and a half thousand years ago. So consequently, there could be carbon-14 in the wood. So we managed to get the samples of both the basalt and the wood. And Dr. Andrew Stelling, a geologist, was working for our ministry at the time, sent these off to standard labs that do the dating. And they dated the basalt as tens of millions of years old. Yep. With potassium argon dating, and they dated, they found carbon fourteen in the wood. It shouldn't be there if the basalt's actually that old. So, do we know that the wood was placed there at the same time as the basalt? Well, yes, and it, because actually the wood's charred, so it's charred because it was exposed to the heat of the molten basalt. So they have to be the same age. Okay, so it was burnt by. Yeah. The volcanic. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't a root that grew down into it afterwards. I mean, the basalt's cold at that stage. So we know that the wood was the same age as the basalt. All right. I think you mentioned a second instance. Yeah, so there's another one where um, the Sydney sandstone, for example, is supposed to be 230 million years old in the evolutionary deep time sort of way of thinking. And again, there was a report of some wood being found enca encased in the, in the sandstone. So we thought, well, that's interesting. Again, we thought the sandstone formed in Noah's flood, and there's quite a bit of evidence that's the case. But, but so we thought the sandstone formed in Noah's flood four and a half thousand years ago, the wood would be that age, so we expect again to find carbon-14 in the wood. So again, we got the sample of wood off to the radiometric dating laboratory, and it came back with, again, had carbon-14 in it. Shouldn't be there if the 230 million years is correct. So again, it's consistent with the biblical time frame and the concept that this was formed during Noah's flood. So I want to get to your third point of the rate of sedimentation in just a minute. Firstly, is there anything else that carbon-14 can tell us? Oh yes, there's much. <laughs> so we find right across the Phanerozoic, the Phanerozoic is the part of the geologic column which has fossils in it, okay. right? It's supposed to be 541 million years time frame. This is what they, the time frame they put on it. But you find that right across that spectrum, you find fossils with carbon-14 in them. Inside the layer of rock, which is meant to be 500 Yeah, right, right through. From the current right through to 541, there's stuff all the way through, like coal and marble and wood and all sorts of things, shells and things. They have carbon-14 right through the whole... Phanerozoic. 
and none of them should have, none of these things that are dated as millions of years or even hundreds of millions of years old, none of them should have any carbon-14, but they've all got a similar amount of carbon-14 even. And that's consistent with all that stuff being buried during Noah's flood. So from an evolutionary perspective, you would expect to see decreasing levels well, of carbon-14. Well, you'd expect to find that none of the things that are dated as more than 100,000 years old should have any, any. carbon-14 in them. And yet all these things, dated millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of years, all of them have carbon-14, and they all have a similar amount of carbon-14. How can that be? Mm. So it's, it's consistent with all that stuff being buried in the global flood of Noah. So could that be due to contamination? Could the carbon-14 somehow have got further down into the rock? After, well, recently, it has to be within, you know, 50,000 years. So some magic process put carbon-14 right through the geologic column, the whole Phanerozoic, the same amount, recently. How? (laughs) Hmm. You know, they try to argue contamination, but the process of dating using carbon-14, there's a check for that, and it's called the, the... carbon-13, carbon-12 ratio, it's a check whether the material comes from an organic source or whether it's contamination, like for atmospheric carbon dioxide gets into it or something like that. So, no, that's checked for in the process of carbon dating, so that's not an answer. I mean, another attempt to answer it is that uranium decay can generate carbon-14, but to get that amount of carbon-14 with uranium decay... Um, you'd have something 99% uranium. Uh, <laughs> it wouldn't be an organic thing. So, And we don't see uranium? Well, no, no, there's no evidence of, of any any significant quantity of uranium in these things. You know, certainly not enough to explain the carbon-14. So just before we jump into your third point, a quick recap. Your first point was? Fragile organic compounds in fossils that are millions of years old those fragile organic compounds shouldn't be there at that, at that age. Okay, and your second point? Carbon-14. So carbon-14 shouldn't be there if things are millions of years old, and it's consistently there. All right, and now your third. And the third point is the fact that there are fossils means something about the age of things. Because to make a fossil, you have to bury it in sediment or in mud. Because things that die in the bush somewhere, see if a horse dies out in the paddock or in the bush, it doesn't last very long. Within months, it's disintegrated. It's been eaten by scavengers and it's spread all over the place. And and within a short time, it's all gone. In fact, you find uh, not just horses, but even whales standing on their tails in the fossil record. You find tree trunks penetrating many layers, all sorts of things which indicate they had to be buried quickly. But even just ordinary small things have to be buried to be reserved as well. So you need a lot of mud to, to actually make fossils. And the things that Phanerozoic, that section of the geologic column, which has got full of fossils, they have a time frame of 541 million years. You say, well, it's, how thick is it? It's about two kilometres thick on average. So just get your calculator out and divide two kilometres by 541 million years. And how much mud do you get? 0.004 millimetres per year. That's quite small. That's like a 25th the thickness of a sheet of paper in a year. That's the layer of mud. That's on average how much mud, sand, silt, clay being deposited according to the deep time scenario of the formation of the Phanerozoic 
over 541 million years. That's hardly anything it's over a year. You don't get any fossils with that amount of stuff. Yeah, like you say, I mean, if a bird died at the roadside, you wouldn't just see it slowly be buried. It disappears. So how do they reconcile? Well, they don't. They can't. And there are some geologists just quietly have admitted the problem, but it's not shouted from the rooftops, is it? No. It's out of it's out of whack by orders of magnitude. An order an order of magnitude is ten, and this is so far out of kilter with reality. There are it's like hundreds of thousands out of kilter with reality to form fossils. You need lots of mud, and a twenty fifth the thickness of a sheet of paper per year. It's not going to preserve anything. So how do we actually know how much mud is needed and how quickly it is needed to be deposited for a fossil to form? How can we know that? For a start, they need to be buried. I mean, there's nothing can be preserved as a fossil if it's not buried. And how do you bury something with a 25th of a sheet of paper in a year? You know, I mean, like it's just right out of kilter. But, But also the fossils, you find many of the fossils are actually preserved with incredible detail like fish with all the scales and everything. So the thing, I mean, if a fish is dead for a week even, it's decaying and falling apart. Mm. So, But you find them with all their scales and everything intact. And uh, and again, the biomolecules, you know, like the things, proteins and all this sort of stuff to preserve. I mean, dinosaurs have been found with their scales and uh, you found a horse all complete, all the bones are all connected together. The whale on its tail is actually intact. It's not bits and pieces spread out around the countryside. Trees that penetrate through many layers. I mean, a tree doesn't stand there. If you think of that amount of material each year, how long would it take to bury a tree? Ages. Right. And, so long. and you have trees standing there with their roots broken off. Yeah. How do they stand up while they're being buried at, you know, 0.004 millimeters of material a year? Mm. So there's been experiments done with small crocodiles, okay. so little, little ones. Yeah. And they buried them in mud to see how much mud you had to put on top of them to hold them down. Because what happens is things die, they um, gases form inside, and then they float. Yes. And then they, they're floating, and then things eat them, and they disintegrate. So how much mud? And they found you needed at least 20 centimetres, about that much mud on these little tiny crocodiles. You needed about that much mud to hold them down so they didn't pop out and float, and then they, they disintegrate. So... So, and we talk about, you know, 20 centimetres like now, not over 100,000 yeah. years. The whole 0.004 millimetres a year, I mean, they could argue that, oh, there was twice as much material and half it's eroded away. That makes it 0.008 millimetres. It doesn't help much. Hmm. So I don't see a rescue device for this. It's very clear that the millions of years is just fiction. So we've had soft tissue, carbon-14, the rate of sedimentation, what is your fourth point for us today? So the fourth point relates to the rate of sedimentation, and that is called bioturbation. Okay, what's that? Huh. So bioturbation is the stirring up of sediment that happens. Like if you go to the beach, I don't know whether you've ever been someone fishing and you get pippies, yep. little shellfish like about that big. You can eat them or you can use them for bait. And you put your toes into the sand and you dig them out. And if you're not quick, they burrow back into the sand. Right, they're gone. You've got to do it again. Those sorts of things have been around since the beginning of the Phanerozoic. In other words, the Cambrian, right, 541 million years, the fossil record shows they've been, that sort of creature's been there all along. 
along with the worms and other things that stir up. I mean, beach worms, another thing is for fishermen. They burrow into the sand. Yeah. So how quickly does that happen? They found that within hours, these creatures stir it up to 10 centimetres depth. So just within hours, they stir it up. So here's the problem for the millions of years story. In the Phanerozoic, these creatures are present all the way through, stirring things up, and yet this layering, this layering just about all the way through, almost all the way through the Phanerozoic, there's layering. And that layering shouldn't be there. Is that because, because the creatures should have stirred, should have stirred and blurred the lines? It stirred and blurred the lines. Yeah. Okay. All the lines should be blurred and gone because of the stirring. But the, the lines are there. Where do we see the lines today? Well, you, you can see it in any... Where, where you see a cutting, for example, uh, where they've done a road cutting through a hill, you can see the, the layers. Uh, you see it in the Grand Canyon you know, very clearly. And you see all this structure in the rock, which shouldn't be there if it was laid down at 0.004 millimetres a year. To stop these creatures from stirring it up, you need to bury them deep enough to kill them. And you actually find that, that actually the, the fossils of these things are actually intact. Now, when they die, the muscle that holds them together, that's the shells come apart. So when you go to the beach, you find all these shells lying around. But the living ones, you find the fossils, they've been buried and killed in the process. So they've been buried alive. Buried alive, that's right. And they can't get out. So how much stuff do you need to dump on top of them to stop them from actually stirring it up? Actually, they can't get out, so they can't stir it up. You, you need tens of centimetres of stuff to dump on top of them straight away, not over a long period of time. If you do it a little bit each day even, they're going to just stir it up. So the point zero zero four is out of kilter by, if you think about just 10 centimetres of material, you're talking something like 25,000 times in error. Wow. You know, this is the millions of years story. And, you know, it's not just me saying this. There's actually geologists. Uh, look, I quote from Bromley, uh, 1990s, a standard secular geologist. He said, I'll quote from you. He says, 100% bioturbation, that is a total stirring up of everything, 100% bioturbation of the substrate is the natural end product of the activity of the endobenthos, that's the burrowers, okay. failure to reach 100% or failure of that state to be preserved in the rock record are conditions that require explanation. So they're basically saying, uh, we're we not sure. I don't know, have no idea. Because there's no way they can explain this when they believe in the millions of years. It's a mystery because they've got the millions of years stuck in their head. It must be true because everybody knows it's true, but it's true. It just says it's wrong. You know, it's so far out of kilter with reality. Yeah. We're so indoctrinated in the millions of years, people are so indoctrinated in it, they just think it's true. It has to be true. It's, it's like when you start talking about things being young or thousands of years other, that's just bizarre to so many people because they've been so indoctrinated in this view and is a view which makes no sense of the evidence. So you think the reason that perhaps people aren't taking what would seem to you the most obvious conclusion from this evidence is because they have stuck in their minds the idea of a long age of the it, earth. It's inconceivable in their thinking it could be wrong because doesn't everybody knows it's right, you know? Don't we you know, stick a rock in a machine and measure its age? You know, it's easy. No, you don't. You can't do that. <laughs> okay, so I get that soft tissue, carbon-14, rate of sedimentation and bioturbation are all fairly uh, persuasive evidences for a young Earth. But why is this important? Well, it's important because people think 
they've been so brainwashed with the millions of years. They, when they start reading the Bible, they say, oh, I can't believe this. So that's a, that's the first thing. It's yeah. important because people think they can't believe the Bible because of this stuff. But on top of that, you have, unfortunately, some theologians, for example, who seem to think that this is something they have to accept and they've got to make that fit with the Bible. And then they start trying to change the Bible to make it fit the millions of years story. Mm. And how do they do that? You see, they've got hundreds of millions of years of fossils and the fossils are a record of deaths, disease and suffering. In fact, you even find cancer in fossils, you know, wow. tumours and things, you know. So this is not a... This is not a benign death of these animals and things. It's a cruel death, and that's what's recorded in the fossil record. And so these theologians who have been hoodwinked by the th geologists into thinking they have to accept the millions of years, so, well, where can we put millions of years into the Bible, you know? And, and they've dreamt up all sorts of schemes to do that, and there's about probably about 15 different schemes, and there's 15 because none of them work. <laughs> The days are long periods of time is probably the most common go-to. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that the days when the Bible says it was one day, the second day, the third day, that these weren't 24-hour days. What's your response to that? Yeah, well, uh, the Bible's clear that uh, each one has an evening and morning and there's six days of a seventh-day rest based on a seven-day week. I mean, it's plain as day what main day means, but people, oh, I can't believe it because of millions of years. So... But in doing that, in fitting all that, where do they fit all that millions of years in? They've got to have it before Adam and Eve. So in other words, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden were standing on a pile of bones miles deep. Yes. Or kilometers deep. So that means that God created a world of death and suffering. It also means that death and suffering were here before sin, before Adam sinned, mm. which undermines the gospel. And then we have the there's going to be new heavens and new earth in the future where things are going to be restored. What restored back to millions of years of death and yeah. suffering? I mean, it undermines everything if you think about it. So that's why it's important. It's actually much more important than biological evolution is the age of things mm -hmm. because it puts death, suffering, and disease before sin and makes God into an ugly God who created death, suffering, and disease. So really it's the integrity of the Bible and the integrity of God's character that are at stake. Absolutely, yeah. Well, thank you, Don. This has been so informative. If people wanted to find out more about evidence for the age of a young earth, where could they go? Well, there's a major article with 101 evidences and you can go to creation.com and there's a very simple URL, which is creation.com slash age. Cool. And uh, yeah, thank you, Bronte. Thank you.